It's Tuesday, May 29th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio, it's Jason Moser. Happy Tuesday. Well, it feels like Monday at least, right? It does, but uh, it's not Monday. You know, I was glad last night. I was about to go to bed last night, and I remembered right before I shed everything. I was like, oh, got to wheel out the trash and the recycling because it's Monday, not Sunday, and this stuff has to be out there first thing Tuesday morning. It's just difficult trying to get in this mindset when you have these holidays. And I mean, I'm not saying I don't want Are you holidays. No, I'm not complaining. I don't want to come across it. I'm complaining about getting old, Chris. That's really what I'm complaining about. It's just my mind is still, it's just not quite what it used to be. Uh, we're going to talk entertainment. We're going to talk beverages. We're going to start with tech. Actually, what we're going to start with is just a reminder that it's a short week for us. We've got Fool Fest, which is our annual two-day investing conference later this week. So, Market Foolery episodes on Tuesday and on Wednesday, not Thursday, which gives you a great chance to check out The Motley Fool's other podcasts, which you can find on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or podcast.fool.com. Let's start with some tech news. and We'll go with Universal Display, which is a key supplier of tech used to make organic light-emitting diode displays. Shares of Universal Display up 7% this morning on reports that Apple is considering using high-end OLED screens in all of its 2019 iPhone models. <laughs> I mean, that's all you want if you're Universal Display or one of their shareholders, well, right? Christmas came a little bit early. Christmas and every holiday where people feel like giving you gifts. So that, all of those holidays really just come early. For for a universal display, and I mean, I you know we've talked about this before. I mean, we talk about sort of the pros and cons of working with Apple and being, um, I mean, a key supplier to Apple and having a lot of your business sort of hinge on that relationship. I mean, it's good in the sense that you're dealing with Apple and you're probably going to be able to unload a lot of product that way. But the flip side is that Apple is going to command some of the pricing there, and then you you have to kind of wonder what. Life exists beyond that relationship with Apple, so it can really it can really sort of crimp that growth prospect and and profitability as well. And so with Universal Display, I mean this is good news. I mean I don't think you'd be complaining if you're a shareholder today. I mean it's been a very bad year uh, for Universal uh, Display shareholders to this point. And the stock was down more than forty percent year to date before the open this morning, and this news hit. It's up a little bit on the news, obviously, but. Um, you know, I I think that we are, I think we're reaching a ceiling in regard to how much people are going to pay for smartphones. I think we're starting to see that smartphones can't just continue to be priced to the sky. And and Apple's iPhone X, I think, is is sort of a a first sort of shot there, a first sort of warning is that people are only going to pay so much, and so. You've got to bring improvements to smartphones that matter for the masses. I mean, I think this makes sense from a number of, of uh, perspectives. But by the same token, I think we're hitting a point where people are only going to pay so much for smartphones, and that's going to be a problem for Apple, given Android's global dominance as the operating system. Do you think we see in the smartphone industry what we saw? Let's go back six, eight, ten years or so. With the computer industry, where the story in the computer industry was that computers got to be so good and so reliable that for businesses, the refresh cycle got stretched out. And so you had companies saying, well, we actually don't need a brand new set of computers for the hundred employees that we have or 
5,000 employees that we have, we're going to push that refresh cycle out a couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I think it only makes sense. I mean, as, as technology improves, as things get better, I mean, logically, this hardware should have a better lifespan, right? I mean, as as people, as as humans have, have evolved, I mean, for the most part, we're living longer. And I think uh, hardware is is sort of the same thing, really. And so, I mean, it's less about the hardware and more about sort of the software and what it can do. Now, understanding the hardware has to be able to um, hold that software. I mean, it has to be able to support that software. But, but yeah, I mean, we, we're getting to a point, I think, where smartphones are fairly ubiquitous. I mean, most people out there connected have one. Um, and so, now, it's less about that piece of hardware and more about that what that hardware can do for you, which then boils down to the software, um, and, and that I think uh, you know, I mean, Apple's been criticized for for that for a number of years, and and sort of pushing these updates that perhaps you don't really need, pushing updates that render your older phone kind of useless. Uh, then lo and behold, we come to find there's a bit of a battery uh, controversy there, and people are figuring out ways to lengthen the lives of their hardware. I mean, I, I know I'm I'm working that way as well. I mean, I don't want to go spend 800 bucks on a new smartphone every two or three years. They just don't find it to be uh, that necessary. So it's, it, we still haven't really been able to take that next step beyond the smartphone, right? There's still not that compelling technology that makes you say, "Wow, smartphones are kind of yesterday's news." They still really are. Um, very central to, to everything we're doing today. Let's move on to Disney, and there are really two stories with Disney today. And the first is, in some ways, the the more important one, and that is this battle for the assets at Fox, uh, because the the last time uh, we talked about this story, it was that Comcast was reportedly looking to make an all cash offer for the Fox. Assets, the bulk of which, or I shouldn't say the bulk of which, but sort of the the headline of which are those movie assets that Fox has. Uh, uh, Disney has a stock deal worth around fifty-two billion. The reported number from Comcast is sixty billion in cash. And now this morning, CNBC is reporting that Disney's looking to shore up some cash because it sounds like they're. Pr- I mean, isn't the betting now that Disney has to? Sweeten the offer that they have on the table. I mean, more than likely, I think that's going to happen. I don't know that necessarily. I mean, it's it's very possible that the folks at Comcast think they can present a compelling enough offer to win this. Um, I, I think they're probably just trying to kind of push the price up a little bit and really force Disney's hand here, and that's fine. I mean, it makes sense. Disney's Disney's obviously a very successful company with a lot of resources at its disposal. Didn't Amazon just do that in <laughs> India with with Flipkart? Yeah, they were yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. We might pay more than Walmart, and you know whether they were serious or not, they drove up the price for Walmart. Yeah, make them work for it. And I mean, we've seen this before, right? It wasn't all that long ago where uh, Marriott was making that acquisition bid for Starwood Hotels. Uh, a Chinese uh, insurer, on buying insurance group, came in. There and uh, decided to try to push up the offer a little bit with an all cash offer, and then that forced Marriott to go back to the table and sweeten their offer a little bit. And so I suspect that's probably what we will end up seeing here. I think at the end of the day, the Murdoch family would much prefer um, to be a part of the Disney family as opposed to the Comcast family. I think Disney tends to elicit more sorts of uh, sunshine and lollipops 
uh, images as opposed to Comcast, which is frustrated consumers sitting there at their home twiddling their thumbs in that five or six hour customer service window that ultimately doesn't solve their problem anyway. So, yeah, I mean, I think that at the end of the day, this Disney's going to end up getting the assets from this deal it wants the most. I think it only makes sense. Let's move on to the other story with Disney, which is the weekend box office and Memorial Day weekend is the official start of summer. Uh, is it the official? My daughter was asking me this morning. Is it officially summer? Well, I mean, you can you can go by. Well, is it official or unofficial? I don't know. It's okay to say I don't know because I said I don't think so, but maybe it is. I, truth be told, I just didn't know. Is it technically summer now? Like no, technically, I think it comes in June, isn't it? Like with the solstice, the summer solstice. You're speaking words that just. <laughs> as far as you know, I'm making stuff up. Sure. Well, so the unofficial start of summer, uh, uh, the the Star Wars movie, uh, the spinoff movie Solo, opened this weekend, and if making a hundred million dollars at the box <laughs> office domestically can be a disappointment. This apparently is a disappointment, and you know what? I I I get why it's considered a disappointment because the price tag for this movie, minus the marketing, it looks like Disney spent somewhere in the neighborhood of two hundred to two hundred fifty million dollars on this solo movie, and a uh, hundred million domestically, sixty five million international, which I think. On the one hand, the Star Wars movies, for all of the success that they have had, haven't had. Uh, nearly the uh, success internationally that you know. Whenever anyone asks why do they keep making Transformer movies, <laughs> my answer is always international box office. The tra- yeah. You know, for whatever you think of the actual stories that are happening in the Transformers movies, those things make a lot of money internationally. <laughs> Mark Wahlberg and robots just really yes. they translate globally. And so the you know the solo box office. Uh, not great domestically, even worse internationally. Um, I haven't seen the movie. I plan to see it in the theater. I didn't. I wasn't so compelled that I wanted to see it this weekend. Um, and it's. Uh, I'm curious what you think about the business headlines regarding this. Not so much the hey, this didn't make as much money as people were expecting, but more along the lines of did Disney make a mistake with their movie release strategy? Because this movie is released about five months after the last Star Wars movie, and when I when I read through some of the things that I've been reading through this morning, I look at it and I think, yeah, I think in hindsight they probably they probably did make a mistake. Yeah, I, I think I agree with you. I, I mean, I think um, I I also did not go see the movie. I was actually busy doing stuff, Chris. Uh, Housework, yard work, you know, real life stuff. We can't all just take off and go to the movies whenever we want, Chris. Just, um, you know, let's just not get greedy here. Wow, you are really, for someone who's younger than me, you are really channeling your inner old man right I am now. I make her budget. I think my wife would probably agree with that too. Um, I, so I think, yeah, I mean, this is a nice problem to have, right? I, I think for Disney, let's take a step back and look at the bigger picture. I mean, this is not about hitting a home run every time they get up to the plate. I mean, I guess technically they'd want to. I mean, everybody would want to, but you know, you're not going to. Um, and so when you look at all of these films that are, are released, not just Star Wars, I mean, just movies in general, I mean, that $1 billion 
box office number, that global $1 million box office number is rarefied air. I mean, it's not normal, right? It's it's very much not normal at all. Um, it's a very big deal. And I mean, not even Disney is going to crack it every time. And if you look at Box Office Mojo's uh, list there of global box office receipts um, all time, of the top 20, 10 of those names are Disney films. 34 films that are a billion dollars or more gross box office, and 17 of those 34 are Disney. So it's all to say that, yeah, maybe this isn't as quick an opening as Disney wanted, but by the same token, it is just a very small window of time, and there is still plenty, plenty yet to go. I think that. Um, for Disney, they need to be careful not to dilute the Star Wars brand. I think you're right. I think you don't release probably more than one of these a year. I don't know that Star Wars. I don't know that that universe carries the same sway um, as the Marvel universe. I mean, it does seem like if you don't like Marvel movies, there's not a lot out for you right now, right? I mean, it just seems like yeah, I was surfing through the other night on, on TV, and I was like, man, every one of these movies is like, if you don't like those, and I'm indifferent to them. I don't really care one way or the other, but it's just like there are a lot of them out there. Um, I don't think they can do quite that same thing with Star Wars. I think they need to be a little bit more careful, a little bit more thoughtful. But I'm sure they went into this thinking, "Hey, we're going to try this and learn from it," and that's to be, uh, you know, applauded. I think if there is a silver lining for Disney, it is that there's a real good stretch of time between right now and the next Star Wars release. I mean, it's going to be December of 2019 yeah, before the next be a... movie comes out. So I think that uh, to the extent that uh, they're looking to uh, build in some box office expectations. I think you can safely do that for what is the, I th- and I'm pretty sure J.J. Abrams is directing this sort of final, uh, the final film of this uh, current trilogy that they're in. I am, I, I'm curious to see if they are going, I mean, you mentioned Marvel. I'm curious to see if Disney is going to do anything with Star Wars uh, similar to what they've done with Marvel, in that you look at Netflix. And how they've licensed out to Netflix these original series based on Marvel intellectual property: um, Luke Cage, Jessica Jones, Daredevil, Iron Fist. Those are very, <laughs> those are very different types of, of programming than the big screen Marvel films. I mean, they're they are darker, they are grittier. Um, <laughs> They're certainly bloodier. <laughs> well, I mean, but, but but I'm curious to see if there's if that comes anywhere down the pike in the next couple of years, where they say, you know what, some of this universe, some of the Star Wars universe, we think actually would make good for it would make for a good spinoff. Let's make it a little grittier. We don't think it's going to have the mass appeal that we want to put it on a big screen. Let's instead uh, give it to some creative people, give them the license to take this where they want to go. So I think that makes perfect sense, and I think they'd be failing if they didn't try that. I think, uh, I mean, one of the big challenges with movies today is just getting people out there to go see them. Um, it's just you just have so many ways you can consume content these days that getting out to the theater is just not on the top of everybody's list. There's just all sorts of stuff going on, and and the movie's got to be really uh, good for you to want to go pay that kind of money and then go see it. And that's why we're seeing things like Movie Pass and whatnot trying to stoke that traffic. Um, and so. So, you know, the flip side of that coin, we've seen this golden age sort of of television take hold, and it's not just Netflix, right? I mean, Hulu is doing a wonderful job. Uh, we just watched that Looming Tower, that Hulu original. So, I mean, they knocked it out of the park for with that one. Amazon, Netflix, HBO—they're all doing such great work with these serialized. Uh, 
stories where you don't have to tell it all in one sitting. And I guess YouTube now, I mean, they, they just released this Karate Kid Cobra Kai yeah. uh, thing where they're like, reviews. hey, listen, we got to tell a five hour movie, but we didn't have to play a five hour. We just broke it out to 10 parts. Um, and so, I mean, there are all sorts of stories, I think, in that Star Wars universe where they could do that. I mean, I tell you, one, I think the one that would be a total no brainer is Jabba the Hutt. I mean, man, there's a story going on with that guy, right? I mean, you don't look like that and command respect, interstellar gangster or not, right? I mean, something happened there at some point in that guy's life. And now he's this big, fat, slovenly just pile of goo. And what? So why are people scared of him? I'll bet you there's a series just begging to be told there. Netflix, Amazon, someone, probably Hulu, given their relationship with Disney. There, there, there's, there's something there. You had me at slovenly pile of goo. Okay. Uh, for the first time in the 132 years of its history, the Coca-Cola company has begun selling an alcoholic beverage. It is called Lemon Dew. It is a lemon-flavored carbonated beverage uh, with varying alcohol contents. This is, this is not being sold. In Japan, this is being sold on a, uh, a single island uh, in Japan. Um, Kyushu, uh, I think. Kyushu, it's yes. And uh, first, I'm curious what your take is on not just the fact that they're doing this. We'll get to that in a second. The thing that I'm curious about <laughs> is the varying levels of alcohol content. Here. That was a bit of a what? I, so, so <laughs> they're testing. Uh, and look, when you're testing something, sure, you want to test a few different versions of it. Usually, it takes the form of flavors. Have you seen this before? I mean, put Coca-Cola and this beverage aside. Have you seen this before in the beer market, where where beer makers have come out with a new product, not not a twist on an old product, a new product, and saying here are three different versions of it, and they vary by alcohol content. So, I mean, I guess the easiest comparable here would be something like an IPA, where I mean, you'll have IPAs, then double IPAs, and triple and quadruple. And generally speaking, the higher you go, the higher the alcohol count. But it's a flavor profile thing, too. So, I don't know with this product if that's, I mean, it seems like it would probably affect the flavor. I mean, if you have a higher alcohol content, you're going to tend to taste that. So, I too was a bit fascinated by that. But this is also a very niche. Cultural offering that um, is not going to be available to obviously most of the world, and I mean I think so for for Coca Cola. I mean it's just a small sort of bet, so to speak, a way to stay relevant um, in in what is still a pretty meaningful market. I mean when you look at the numbers actually outside of the United States, the United States in 2017 was responsible for 19 percent of Coca Cola's unit case volume. So beyond that, you look at the largest markets in Mexico, China, Brazil, and Japan. Altogether, they accounted for 31% of uh, worldwide unit case volume. So Japan is a fairly meaningful market for Coca Cola. But, uh, I mean, you're not going to see, I think, something like this. They, like, they, I don't think they would have any chance of any kind of success doing something like this here in the United States because there is already so much competition out there in so many different I mean arenas but we're seeing companies all over trying to introduce new profiles beyond just beer you see hard cider whatever it may be a seltzer all this stuff um, 
it, you know, it's an it's an interesting way for them to keep relevant, maybe in a very small. Kyushu has 13 million people apparently, so it's not necessarily the biggest market in the world, but it's it's a place where Coca Cola still uh, has has a presence, and, and I imagine this will be something that they learn a lot from. But could you see Coca Cola making an acquisition in this direction, in the same way that they have? First, bought a minority stake in Honesty, and then a majority stake. Could you see them doing that? And related to that, I'm not even going to let you answer that question. I'm going to ask a second one. <laughs> related to that, could you see a company like Lacroix? Could you could you see an existing carbonated beverage company testing alcohol? I mean, yes, I could. I certainly wouldn't say they won't. Um, to me, I feel like probably if you're looking at a developed market like ours here, I think the bigger opportunity would be in um, in marijuana. To be quite honest with you, I mean, I think because we have this this new market that is just starting to um, gain some steam. I mean, it's just it's just on the very cusp of getting started here, where I think. All sorts of companies are out there trying to figure out how they might be able to play into um, what they might be able to offer. Constellation, I think, is the obvious um, company out there right now. If you're looking for a way to play into the legalization um, movement, I mean, there are plenty of, of pump and dump penny stocks out there. I'd be thinking far beyond that. Think longer term and think about doing something that maybe is not being done right now. And so, I, th- I think big beverage. Uh, Companies, Coca-Cola being one of them, they've got this tremendous distribution model and a great brand and just a phenomenal ability to just try new things and push them out there immediately, or even make little bolt-on acquisitions if they see fit. And and I don't know that they're necessarily married to this sort of wholesome image. I don't think they need to to always necessarily communicate this wholesome image. Figuring out ways to pivot to new offerings is, is going to be really the way to growth for companies like Coca Cola, Pepsi, um, and, and so yeah. I mean, I could see possibly trying these these derivative alcoholic beverages, but to me, that's sort of backward thinking, and it, it would be a lot more difficult to gain traction in a market where there are already a lot of credible uh, competitors out there today. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.